Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa Mickey McGrath, and we're back, baby. Today we are recording 5,087 miles from Oahu, Hawaii. And today we're discussing how some parasites essentially turn hosts into puppets. They make prey befriend the predator, and how one parasite in cat litter boxes all over the world is somehow making the jump to monk seals and penguins. What the what? We're back. Let's go. Wow, 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 is it good to be back, y'all? Bewilderbeast Season 6, last one, baby. This season, we have six stories to bring our total up to an even 100. And keep in mind, the first season had three stories in every episode, so there's really over 150 stories about the connective tissue between animals and humanity. This has been such a fun ride, such a wild ride, and I hope season six will be the best one yet and live up to your expectations. We we have stories this season of detection dogs who are bringing important stories to light that some states are trying very hard to ban in history books. We have justice in cold cases for some victims who have been unidentified for 30 years. We have a murder walk beer crawl, unrelated to the cold cases, but definitely related to a story in season two about honeybees turning spotted lanternfly goo into smoky honey. And there's a group of six dogs in Maine who potentially are on the front lines of heading off the spotted lanternfly, making them the cutest little border patrol unit of ever. And I know because I happen to be their teacher and I'm not at all biased. And more. We are going to do six more deep dives, investigating every corner of the world, oceans and graveyards, racism and environment, the funny, the serious, and in today's episode. Hypnotists only wish that they could reach the level of mind control these parasites have on their hosts. Prey animals that walk up to their predators, spiders that weave webs to hold the cocoons of parasitic wasps that eat the spiders, and no internet story is complete without cats. So buckle in today for the next six weeks. Visit the Patreon if, if, if you want those episodes hidden behind the paywall. A dollar a month gets you that sweet, sweet RSS feed. It'll be up for a little bit after the season. And all people paying for access as of March 1st, I will manually shut off your payment because you don't need to keep paying for episodes that will not be heading down the pike. 
But if you do have those episodes, you can download them and save them for as long as you like. Oh, and I've been recording these episodes a little bit out of order. So some may or may not have an introduction recorded the same day, and some may not have an intro at all. Shaco, the episode titled Shaco, will not have our traditional introduction, and I hope it'll be clear why when you get to that episode in a couple of weeks. And last plug, January 26 to 28, next weekend, or this weekend when I release this, there is a free, totally free online conference for dog nerds. If you are a dog trainer, you will get to see big name folk in our industry like Grisha Stewart and Dr. Amber Batson presenting on reactivity in dogs. And if you're a dog owner or if you just love dogs, there are 17 speakers, including myself, professionals, dog behaviorists, veterinarians, trainers, consultants, all talking about dog reactivity in different contexts. If you have kids and dogs, there's a talk for you. If you have a dog in the city, hey, that's my talk. If you are struggling with your dog at the vet, go watch the veterinarians. I think there are two of them presenting. If you just want general advice, there are so many people giving free advice and training tips for reactive behavior. And these are people, myself excluded, but many of them, you have to pay lots of money just to see them speak at a conference. This is a gift. Y'all, this just doesn't happen often. I am not getting paid at all. I just really liked my UK talk, and when I was invited, I was asked if I could just give it again with a few extra slides, which I was happy to do. That means to me that there are more eyes on a talk that I'm really proud of, and I hope that you all like it too if you happen to catch it. So go to puptalk.co.uk. And under those three little lines, that little menu bar thingy, go down to PupFest 2024, follow the instructions, and bam, there you go. Enjoy the shows. If you catch this after it airs live, you can pay for an all-access pass and you can watch them whenever you like. But they will be free for the weekend of the the festival. Okay, so plugs are out of the way. Intro for this season is out of the way. Right, so here we go. Episode one, baby, of season episode stretch. Season episode six stretch. Oh my gosh, this is not boding well. Okay, great. The last stretch. We got this, right? When I was pregnant, there was a whole host of things that I was not allowed to do. I was not supposed to eat raw oyster or drink too much caffeine or drink any beer or skydive or at some point I was not allowed to touch my toes anymore. Not because my doctors told me not to, but because I physically couldn't touch my toes anymore, I had a whole human in my abdominal cavity, making it impossible to bend at the waist. But one thing I was under the doctor's orders from the very beginning to not do was change my cat box, which luckily I had a partner at home who took over the task for nine glorious months. (laughs) And not everyone who happens to be pregnant has someone who will take over the scooping duties or scooping duties however you want to phrase it. So this becomes a little bit more of an issue. So why are carriers of the next generation told expressly by medical professionals to absolutely not with cat litter for the duration of pregnancy? Well, the answer is toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasma is a parasite that spells trouble for the human fetus. According to the National Institute of Health, quote, babies who become infected during pregnancy have problems with the brain, eyes, heart, kidneys, blood, liver, or spleen. When the infection starts for the first trimester, the fetus has a higher chance of severe problems. 
end quote. So what does that have to do with cats? Well, Toxoplasma can survive in a variety of hosts, including up to 50% of the Earth's human population at any time. You are welcome. The parasite can only reproduce, however, in cats. So in order to get the parasite back from the host into the cat, the cat has to eat an infected animal. It is unlikely your cat is going to eat you. So here's where the mind control comes in. Mice and rats who become toxoplasma hosts become less scared of cats. The creature most likely to eat them, the creature they usually zip away from, they just instead waltz up to the cat, basically accepting death, I guess? They have a slower reaction time, they're exhibiting higher risk behavior, they make questionable choices. These are all part of the toxoplasma oeuvre. The prey also seems to lose their fear of cat pee which is a smell that still haunts my dreams. And there are theories that these rodents learn to dig the smell of urine. This bodes well for Kitty, as the infected rat saunters up to the kitty, effectively mind-controlled by the toxoplasma parasite. Hey, buddy, want to be friends? The cat, where the toxoplasma wants to get back inside because that's the only place toxoplasma can bring back baby toxos, They look at the walking dinner, just walking up to it, cannot believe it's good luck. Cat strikes out, eats the rat, ingests the rat, and the toxoplasma. The toxo reproduces, sheds the parasite load through kitty poo directly into your kitty litter, where dads and non-carrying partners clean the litter box. Who knows? Through the fecal matter in Parasite Shed, other animals can step in it, wash their paws with their tongue, and bam, they are now infected. The cycle starts anew. Y'all, nature is whack. This parasite has been found in nearly every single warm-blooded animal on the planet, including monk seals and penguins, which we will circle back to later. In fact, wolves who have overlapping territories with cougars have a significantly higher chance of hosting toxoplasmosis. Kira Cassidy, a wildlife biologist in Yellowstone Wolf Project, states, quote, We know that behavior is influenced by all sorts of factors, including past experiences, genetics, current circumstances, and social context. Now we can add parasites to that list. End quote. Side note, as somebody who works in animal behavior, this is definitely going to be something on my radar. <laughs> While wolves are not necessarily incubating the new generation of toxoplasma, the parasite affects those apex predators too in much the same way as they do with the rats. Wolves that tested positive for the parasite were 11 times more likely to peace out from their wolf pack and much more likely to become pack leader compared to wolves without the toxo. Up to 46 times more likely. Which I'm not a datastician. Seems significant, 46 times more likely to lead a pack after abandoning his family? Is this the mob? Two other cases, toxoplasmosis positive hyena cubs are significantly more likely than uninfected hyena cubs to approach lions. Y'all, no one should approach a freaking lion, especially hyena, whose one natural predator on this planet is a freaking lion. Similarly, chimpanzees will just do-do-do up to their predator like they're going to ring a doorbell and convert their mortal enemy, the leopard, to Jungle Hovis witnesses. 
then they get eaten. And as stated earlier, up to half of the human population have, at this time, right now, are infected with toxoplasmosis. <laughs> Research indicates that humans with toxoplasmosis engage in riskier behavior, including driving more dangerously, which leads to serious car accidents. Leading to my favorite guessing game, teen with undeveloped frontal lobe or a kitty litter parasite. Side note, one study did show that those positive toxoplasmosis people either went into a business major in college or would start their own business. These individuals were less likely to say they were scared to fail, leading to a successful business start. Some studies, and these are controversial, I will say, indicate that erratic behavior, risk-taking, and more behaviors that have been noted in higher percentages with confirmed human cases of toxoplasmosis. Yo, if Elon Musk is just a walking petri dish for toxoplasma, this might explain some things. In some studies, schizophrenia has been noted in higher percentages in toxoplasmosis cases. But there has been some questions as to how those studies were conducted or if the media just may have overstated the significance of the results. If you're curious about it, please dive into the resources in, the, in today's show notes. In 1990, Czech scientist Yaroslav Flager found out that he had toxoplasmosis after a fellow scientist developed a diagnostic tool that detected the parasite in people. As any good friend would do, he rolled up his sleeves for science and provided a blood sample. Then he found out he definitely somehow got toxoplasmode. He realized that animals like rats become less fearful, almost derpy, as they approach certain death. They walk right up to a cat if it's a rat in its last moments before end of life. This risky behavior almost certainly results in toxoplasma getting back into the cat for the parasite to make baby parasites, oocysts that will be deposited into that litter box and continue the spread of the parasite. But what Dr. Flegger noticed was he himself, he seemed less cautious about things. Quote, I would cross the street in traffic and just not jump when cars honked. So... He got to work. He made some interesting discoveries. Humans who had tested toxopositive are more than twice as likely to be in a car accident, as noted before, and have a higher risk of schizophrenia, as noted before. Now, the schizophrenia thing was definitely picked up by the media, and that piece stuck. Yes, people with this parasite do happen to develop schizophrenia more than the average Joe. That's not great. But it's not like if you get the parasite, then you're definitely going to get schizophrenia. The highest likelihood of that occurrence is if both parents have this disease. Other findings from research out of Dr. Flegger's lab also indicate that there is a slightly higher risk of attempted suicide from the population who had confirmed toxoplasmosis. How is the schizophrenia thing fitting in? Well, UK scientists made a really cool discovery. The parasite, toxoplasma, makes this molecule that's a precursor to dopamine. Dopamine in regular, normal, typical doses make us a little more motivated and attentive and extroverted in some cases, maybe social. Dopamine also helps us feel things like empathy. However, like all things, when dopamine is just kind of out of whack, you may see other symptoms like schizophrenia patients have higher levels of dopamine. Without satisfactory levels of dopamine, like typical levels of dopamine, we are unmotivated, we can't focus, we can't sleep, we may be fatigued or exhausted. It's a case of the Mondays every Monday, or worse. So how does toxoplasma get from cat gut to human brain? 
Well, it's not all cat butts. At least, not directly, I guess. If a cat poops in the garden and no one is there to see it, did it poop at all? Well, if you're planting a petunia in spring and do not wash your hands, you may have just been toxoplasmode. If your veggies aren't cooked or cleaned appropriately, bam! That sugar snap pea just gave you the gift that keeps on giving. Luckily, though, you can't, or it's very unlikely, that you would be eaten by a cat. <laughs> so the parasite will not make it back to Frisky the Wonder Kitty, at least not through you. But the mouse that nibbles on that garden, and then the cat gets the mouse? Circle of parasitic life, baby. Once inside the host, the human host, the parasite hides in what's called a dendritic cell. These immune cells look like little trees. These are called the gatekeepers of the immune system. And it looks like these dendritic cells have a broken gate. Toxoplasma uses these dendritic cells to hide and ride it like a cowboy on a quarter horse, like a kid at a fair ride, like a to-go coffee and a tired mom. Giddy up all the way up to the control center of everything. Our freaking brains, y'all. Toxoplasma jingled, jangled, and wormed its way into the dendritic cell and hotwired it. Rode it like he stole it. Because in this case, he kind of did. In order to make the dendritic cell go, though, he needs some gas. <laughs> that gas comes in the form of a GABA neurotransmitter. That's the ignition switch, if you will. Where if you put your key into the start engine and you make the cell go... Toxo somehow made GABA in the cell, which makes the GABA receptors go, yes, you may now drive this dendritic cell wherever you would like to go, Mr. Toxoplasmosis. And away he went, driving it right into your brain. <laughs> Schizophrenia has another common factor, disturbances in GABA. This is also the case with bipolar disorder and other psychiatric disorders. This may not be as latent a parasite in humans as initially thought. There are other, quote, zombies or brain hijacked parasites in the world. So there were so many that I decided to just limit this to a couple off the top of the research pile. The Costa Rican wasp lay eggs like any mom would on the abdomen of an orb spider. After a few weeks, the wasp larva little baby wasps. It's a boy, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a girl. Wait, <laughs> they keep coming. They sting a chemical into the spider, which tells it to build an unusual web, one that it's not usually going to build. This new web is designed to support the wasp larva's cocoon that the babies will make once they kill and eat their builder. What a way to say thanks for the housemate. Rude. But not all parasite brain puppeteers are awful. Let's look at some frogs. When the mist frog becomes infected with a fungus that I'm not going to try to say without doing 20 minutes of tongue stretches first, the frog becomes more successful of finding lady love. In this case, the infected males spend more time calling for mates, leading directly to a better success of finding a lover and having baby frogs. My favorite example of, of this whole brain puppeteering shenanigans is what my friend Dr. Sipperstein and I had some fun with on a different podcast. Last year, a 17-year-old cicada brood emerged. This specific emergency was called Brood 10, which was written in Roman numerals in the media, so I read it as Brood X. 
This brood stayed underground for 17 years, which is basically as long as we have to wait for the next installment of Game of Thrones books. <laughs> However, this year, due to a fungus that specifically assaulted cicadas last year, when these cicada babies emerged after nearly two decades underground, the fungus turned them into nymphomaniacs. The fungus attacked the cicada in two ways. One, it made their butts fall off, which, ew. Second, it told their brain to go and have sex with as many cicadas as possible, leading to the wildest, weirdest insect tryst imaginable. Spreading this abdomen-eating, butt-falling-off fungus like an STI through the cicada community for their 21 days of life, this led Dr. Sip and I to call it Brood Triple X, and I have no regrets. Which brings us to the monk seals and toxoplasmosis. Wait, how do seals, a marine animal, get a parasite found in cat litter boxes and gardens? Well, let's look at some numbers and what they mean for monks. There are only about 1,300 of these critically endangered seals left in the world. That's it. There are high schools in this country with more numbers than that. When a breeding female is taken out, that is catastrophic to an already struggling population. Enter the cats. While cats are not swimming, to my knowledge, out to the Hawaiian islands, nor are they frolicking with the seals directly, the increasing number of feral cats living, eating, and pooping in the watersheds is certainly wreaking havoc on marine life. Not just in Hawaii and the monk seals, but also whales in Canada and penguins in Antarctica. More on them in a minute. While we may have the parasite in our body right now, you're welcome, doing basically bupkis unless we're looking at some very specific circumstances, this parasite is devastating to marine life. When a cat leaves its kitty crunchies near water or in a place where rain can wash the poo into the water, hundreds to thousands of oocysts, that's what we call the eggs of doom, they also get washed out to sea. And you'd hope that the sea would just kill the parasite, but these guys are tough. One researcher explained in National Geographic that you could have a bottle of 10% bleach pop in the toxoplasma for kicks, and then leave it there to age like a fine whiskey for, eh, let's say, a few years. Then wash the oocysts out, give them a quick rinse, and they are good to go to continue to infect the population. Yum. It only takes one of these oocysts to be ingested by someone in the sea to keep the cycle going. But these parasites move into marine life via the digestive tract, they can also multiply here, but then burst through the cells, which allow these parasites to flow through the body, to brains, to livers, to muscles. They create inflammation and start to damage the entire marine body. While this is generally harmless to humans, in the endangered monk seal, it is almost certainly going to lead to organ failure and then death. At least 11 monk seals have been identified as succumbing to toxoplasmosis, and it seems to kill more females in the population. Two female monk seals were recently found on Oahu, both dead, one pregnant, which illustrates the severity of the circumstances. When you have an endangered species already looking for a win, and that species is aquatic, the salt in the wound that a nearly impossible parasite to contain from the land is so unfair. And it's not just seals. Toxoplasmosis is now documented in whales, dolphins, manatees, seabirds, otters, penguins, and more. Remember the little penguins? The world's smallest penguin that lives in Australia? The livestock guardian dogs who would protect them from foxes and other predators? Their population was as low as 10. 
but bounced back to over 200 at the time of that episode in season one, all because these dogs were sent to keep them safe. Well, in 2022, researchers were studying the deaths of some of the little penguins. They had a good body condition and death, but they just died. Initially, the researchers were looking if these birds had passed away of avian malaria, but it turned out they all died of toxoplasmosis. While toxoplasma's effect on other creatures have been known to researchers since around the time we were all stocking up cans of food and potential crash for the Y2K bug, things have escalated quickly. In 2013, half, half of male sea otters were thought to carry toxoplasmosis. In southern Chile, they have reported recently that 77% of their river otters are now carriers. In fact, to help combat the very real danger to marine life from this parasite, Hawaii's governor made a very powerful declaration. He added feral cats to the invasive species list. I have always heard about cats being devastating to songbird populations and other small mammal populations, but to realize their impact on marine life, including a 750-pound sea powerhouse, an animal who is seven and a half feet long on average, who search for food up to a thousand feet beneath the ocean's surface, are taken out by a feral cat. I think the quote from Angela Amlin through National Geographic sums it up perfectly. Quote, is the problem preventable? Yes. But is it easy to prevent? Not necessarily. It's hard to figure out what to do when you have so many cats on the landscape and you have a strong difference in opinion from locals as to how to deal with it, end quote. Suggestions are parroted around the U.S. whether the threat is Hawaii and the monk seals, mid-Atlantic, U.S. and shorebirds, and the rest of the country with songbirds and shorebirds. Keep cats indoors. Not just because cats can live their lives more fully with us inside, they will almost certainly live longer, not be a direct threat to wildlife, both large and small. We can keep our beloved cats healthy and happy longer, not getting hit by cars, picking up other parasite loads, decimating songbird populations, or in the case of the monk seal, contributing to the extinction of a species only found on the coast of Hawaii. And I get it. For me personally, it's a tough call to keep all the kitties in the house. We've done stories in this show about whiskey cats who keep rats out of distilleries or my neighbors who keep barn cats who keep rats out of their barn. Y'all, the rats in our area are out of control. This is indicative of something being out of balance. And with so many jumping to poison, which harms birds of prey, these beautiful raptors in the sky who usually keep rat populations down, I have considered barn cats too. And we don't really have animals living in our barn in the farmer traditional sense. Just a few bikes, a lawnmower, and a bunch of storage stuff. But some cats are also certainly super not cool with being indoors only. But many are. Or can at least learn to tolerate being indoor buddies. Or have catios. If you happen to be fortunate enough to have a space for such a wonder. And they are not cheap. So... Many of the choices we make as pet owners really do take into into account time, space, money, what's fair to the pet, and in some of those choices may be made with good intentions, they might be misguided, but most people try to do right, and I found that consistently over the last 20 years of working with people and their animals. People generally try to do what's right. Crikey, I get it wrong sometimes, and I've had it wrong with many of my own pets, We can only do the best we can with the tools we have. 
But with the stake of climate change making cat poop easier to get into waterways and causing so much destruction hundreds of miles from my location, I can't help but think if there's any way to keep my kitties in, should I do it? And having two cats, the only two indoor cats I've had in my entire life, they still continue to thrive as late teens. All the cats we had as kids, up to 20 at a time, because we also didn't have the money or the ability to spay and neuter our cats that were dumped on the property, or that we found on walks home, or showed up because we had food out for the other cats. None of those cats, the hundreds I owned over my lifetime as a kid, made it past two years old. None. And that might be typical. That might be unusual. But I can say with certainty, as a child who had years of cats, having more cats because when left to their own devices, they are nearly as fertile and as frisky as rabbits. And these cats lived inside and outside. Not a single one lived beyond the age of two. I am not being hyperbolic. We had hundreds over the years. None made it past two. And if we were to get a barn cat or a helper to help with the rats in our environment, I know the risk is that we may not be able to protect the birds. At what cost? And we're at a tipping point in this environment where it's not if a butterfly flaps its wings in Monterey Bay, then a windstorm occurs in the Sahara. It's instead if a cat poops in the watershed, endangered seals have to work a little harder to survive. And meanwhile, the same rules apply as during COVID. Definitely wash your hands for 20 seconds, sing happy birthday twice at a normal pace, especially after interactions with any cats or handling any food or in the garden. (sighs) Yeah, I had no idea either. So the next time I'm planting petunias, I'm going to say howdy to my new parasitic overlords and hope that I get the ones that drive me like an old lady behind the wheel of a Buick and not drive my vessel of a body like a 16-year-old with a Thunderbird at a red light. Thank you for joining me today on Bewilderbeast. As always, follow on social media, Patreon, where I'm putting collections of Bewilderbeast together. So like right now, all the holiday episodes are in one playlist, all and those are open to everyone, except for the ones that are locked. <laughs> Y'all figure it out. All the Patreon apps are still behind the paywall. But I do have one dog playlist that went up as a digital gift for that online conference I mentioned earlier. I did pull one episode from Patreon that I made public on that. So everyone can go listen. It's the episode on how the only place in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day, uh, the only place you can get a pint on St. Patrick's Day was the Irish National Dog Show or the train to get there. So with that, let's visit where the information from today's episode hails from, shall we? I got today's information from nationalgeographic.com. That's where I found out you can store these parasites in 10% bleach for years, take them out, wash them off, and the parasites can still develop. Yuck. More National Geographic on the sneaky cat parasite takes over human brains for science. Um, NationalGeographic.com on zombie parasites, animals, science behavior. NationalGeographic.com seals endangered species. The CDC.gov. Wikipedia.org on toxoplasmosis, LiveScience.com on toxoplasma, Science Direct um, for some some of those um, studies regarding Dr. Flager, 
wikipedia.org. And I think that's it. Intro and outro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz. Interstitial music by MK2. And all the extra stuff is found on Pixabay and freesound.org. I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath with Mudstuff Media and the Podfix Network. Thanks, homies. Now get out there, wash your hands, stay curious, and y'all, I'm going to see you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.